Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast. I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller. Two years ago, Hurricane Harvey made landfall in Texas on August 25th. We're coming up on the anniversary. There was an estimated $125 billion in damage. People were forced from their homes in Houston, some of which had never been flooded before. From where did they evacuate you? Where do you stay? Bracewood. We were off of a, a patio. Women and kids first, elderly, trying to get them all out. And then they, they're coming back for the fellas. They just opened the doors and people have started coming in. Oh, my goodness. Oh, there's a flood in There was cars so much underwater, you wouldn't believe. A boat coming up. So just so thankful, so grateful for our emergency responders out there. This week, we'll be talking to Chief Meteorologist Travis Herzog from KTRK ABC 13 in Houston about the two-year anniversary. Stay with us. I'm joined on the phone now by Chief Meteorologist Travis Herzog of KTRK-TV in Houston, ABC 13. So I'm so glad uh, you just came back from vacation, you said, Travis. So I'm so glad that your first day back is spending some time talking to us. <laughs> yes, and I'm grateful that my vacation was not interrupted by any hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, my goodness. I know because, you know, we're looking at, you know, we're coming close to the anniversary. Such a devastating hurricane we had with Harvey. And so we're going to get into that. And I, I first, before we got started with that, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about yourself, your career. What brought you to the Houston area? Sure. Well, I'm a fourth generation Texan, so I have some deep Texas roots and uh, went to school at Texas A&M. That's where I got my degree in meteorology. And while I was at Texas A&M, I started working at a local TV station, KBTX, as their morning meteorologist my senior year in college. And then a few years later, uh, on a hope and a prayer, I got the call to come to Houston, which is uh, where my wife is actually uh, born and raised in the Houston area. And so that was kind of home for her. And uh, 13 years later, we're still here. So, <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, um, you know, before we get to uh, like Hurricane Harvey, what are some of the unique forecasting challenges that you face in the Houston area, you know, on a regular basis? So uh, there's there's quite a few challenges we face, and one of the biggest wild cards we always face is that to our south, we have this giant body of warm water called the Gulf of Mexico, and observations are limited over the Gulf, and so sometimes we can be a little surprised by uh, the intensity or the depth of moisture that actually makes its way inland since uh, the first time it hits anything in our observation network is when it crosses our shore. Uh, so that's one of the challenges we face, and that's a year-round challenge. And it's that supply of moisture that leads to our flood season, which I jokingly would say starts January 1st and ends December 31st. Right. right? You, you can, never really it, get out of it. Any time of the year it can flood in Houston if you have the right weather pattern and the moisture feeding in. So that's, a, that's our biggest natural disaster, actually, is, is flash floods. Um, by far, we get that more than anything else. And then, of course, we get the occasional hurricane, tropical storm, tropical nature system, uh, which is always a big deal. And another, another challenge we often have is um, we get strong jet stream flow that comes 
in the upper levels from the southwest. So it comes across Mexico. And there's also a bit of a, an observation hole right there. And so sometimes we'll get these tiny disturbances that flow through and miss the weather balloon network. And then all of a sudden they cross the mountains and just explode just to our southwest. And so that can that can often ramp up rain chances in a hurry. Uh, and those those are often difficult to detect. And then we get our occasional uh, wintry mixed precipitation system in the wintertime. Um, we don't often get frozen precipitation in Houston, but when it does, everyone, say, in State College might make fun of us because we shut the city down <laughs> if there's less than an inch of snow or just even a, you know, one one hundredth of an inch of ice anywhere. <laughs> well, and it's understandable, you know, like when I because uh, I visit my daughter sometimes in Texas. And and the thing is, is you're just not designed for it. So you don't have like, you know, salt that they're going out regularly and treating the roads. So, I mean, like there are some <laughs> some issues that you face that up here where, you know, very well prepared. So Right. Give right. us a flood. You can give us four inches of rain in an hour and we can handle that. But if you give us an inch of snow over a day, we can't. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, tell me about, so you have a couple, I mean, you have a few elements of surprise based upon the fact that you don't have the ability to see some of this stuff coming in. So that's got to be really challenging. It is. It always, it, you know, we always have to be looking at every single shred of data that's coming in and always looking at the observations. So grateful for recent technological advances such as the GO-16, GO-17 satellites. Those have been really helpful to us to get some to see some finer scale details over the Gulf of Mexico as they're approaching us. We also have uh, an active sea breeze circulation generally in the summer months. And that's always something we have to keep an eye on because um, seemingly at random storms will start firing along that boundary. And so, uh, for instance, last week on a Thursday afternoon, a storm popped up and hit one part of town. And before you know it, you've got street flooding because two inches of rain fell in one hour. And so that, that's something that we're always on guard against during the summertime as well. Right. So it's uh, it's it's it keeps it interesting. Right. right. Um, I always say that every day I go into work is like a new adventure. Um, you know, we're trying to solve the puzzle of what the weather is going to send our way and uh, and trying to crack the code and figure it out so we can prepare people for what's to come. Right. And you have to be really good at communicating some of that now casting. Yeah. Now casting is a, is a big deal uh, because so much of our rainfall is convectively driven. It's not driven by more stable processes that are easy to forecast, like a cold front um, and, and so, or, or, or a low pressure system. Um, it's more air mass thunderstorms in the heat of the day. And so we have to be on top of it. And then using our, our radar expertise, then we can now cast how the storms will evolve once we see where they've developed. Those are difficult, uh, you know, just because of how small they are and, and you know, how they just pop up. You right. Know. And Houston's a huge city. In fact, uh, the county that we're located in, Harris County, is roughly 1,800 square miles. I mean, it's massive. And so it'll be raining on one part of the city and completely dry, uh, you know, for the in other cities. Or just sometimes it'll vary block by block because we'll have a storm that's maybe one square mile in size. Um, but it's very intense. <laughs> right. And it's very intense. And plus with Houston, I'm not sure how like the de design of the city or the layout when it comes to flooding, because uh, can it be a situation where you'll have one mile of that area that's getting hit really hard and then downstream, like all of a sudden people are getting flooded and they didn't even have rain? You're absolutely right, Regina. Um, so we're called the one of our nicknames is the Bayou City. And we have 22 different watersheds just across our, our little county primarily creeks and bayous. And and you're right. Um, I tell people all the time that you have to know your watershed because if I'm on TV and I say the Braze Bayou watershed just picked up a foot of rain at the headwaters, 
you may not have gotten a drop at your house, but it's going to flow downstream and flood out possibly some homes and businesses and, and definitely some roadways. Wow. So that's got to make for So you're really informing the viewers to recognize uh, patterns like you're recognizing patterns. They have to learn that. Yeah, and, and know your geography, know which watershed you live in or have to travel through to get to, to and from work and school because um, you can quickly cross three different watersheds in, in less than 10 or 15 minutes. Well, let's get to Harvey now because I know every hurricane's different, but what were you thinking as it start, you started to get a clear picture of the path of this storm? My wife and I were just talking about this because um, we're coming up on the two-year anniversary of the, the Great American Solar Eclipse, and uh, that happened right before Harvey. We were actually uh, decided we're going to, we're going to take our family on a road trip to go to Nashville to get into the path of totality, total oh, darkness right. for the eclipse. And so as we're on this road trip, I've got one eye on the eclipse weather and then one eye on what I see brewing down in the Caribbean. Um, because Harvey actually formed before it reached the Caribbean and then it just dissipated. Um, it got shredded apart by, by wind shear and dry air, but there was still a remnant circulation that managed to survive. And so I had my eye on that. I saw the, some hints in the computer model data that, that something may try to regenerate once it crossed the Yucatan and got back into the Gulf. And so as, as, as on the day of the eclipse is when it became, in, in my mind, uh, more clear that we were going to have some kind of Texas impact from a tropical something, uh, but we didn't yet know the extent of it. And, and what was, I think, hard for all of us to wrap our minds around is we're looking at this computer model data and we're seeing the output that's showing 25, 30, 35 inches of rain for a system that has not yet reformed. And it was just, it was a little difficult for all of us to, to say, come on, really? Is this, is this really going to happen this much rain? Well, it ended up happening in even more than that. And so that was probably um, one of the most challenging things is whether there was development or not, the computer models were locked onto, this is going to be a massive rain event. And as we, as we in the weather community know, forecasting the amount of precipitation that's going to fall is one of the most difficult things to do. And, and there's a lot of um, distrust sometimes in, in the computer models and, and what they're showing um, because they suffer from different biases. Um, and so, so we were a little skeptical at first, you know, can this really happen this much rain? Cause we had, we had just been through some big floods going back to 2015 on Memorial day weekend, we had a, a pretty big flood, 11 inches of rain fell in about six hours on the west side, flooded wow. out you know, almost 10,000 homes. Almost, uh, you know, we had several people that drowned. And so we're thinking, you know, we, we just had an 11-inch rainstorm. The year before that, we had a 24-inch rainstorm. Uh, so we knew it was possible, but to see that large of an area getting projected to get that much rain was something none of us had ever, have, had ever witnessed before. And so we had a really hard time grappling with um, what this is going to do to our area if this verifies. Right, and that ha it had to be terrifying because I even remember here at, at AccuWeather uh, where we were all discussing the model output and the just how it was going to sit and the amounts of rain that you having seen 11 inches and then seeing 24 inches when you're talking 50 inches like some of the like yeah. some of it was just looking so crazy at the amount of rain that was coming down we were like what do you even do you know so it had to be really terrifying yeah it did now and there, there's some uh, floody veterans as i like to call them that had been through three floods already in the past three years before or two years before harvey and for those people that had flooded repeatedly, they got out. They packed up their belongings in U-Hauls, and they, they, they got out of Dodge. Right. Um, they, uh, they, and, but most of the city stayed. I mean, we don't issue evacuations for rainfall forecasts. The only time we issue evacuations for an approaching tropical weather system is due to the storm surge, the high tide. 
And so uh, most people just ended up staying put because we weren't expected to get the hurricane part of Harvey in terms of the, the strong winds, winds yeah. and the storm surge. We were going to get the outer rain bands. And and so we, we've talked in the past internally in our weather department, what would be a worst case flood scenario? Because we've been through some bad floods. Just go back to 2001, Tropical Storm Allison. Um, it sat atop the city, circled around in a loop for a few days. And uh, there was a small part of town just east of downtown Houston that picked up about uh, 28 inches of rain in one night from Tropical Storm Allison. Wow. We had uh, we had five-day accumulations of about 35, 36 inches. But that was in a very small part of town. So we always said the worst-case scenario would be something like an Allison peak rainfall, but all across the entire city. And we didn't have to wait too long to actually see that happen with Harvey. Uh, never before have we had a hurricane of that intensity come into Texas and just stall out. In fact, we hadn't even had a Category 4 hurricane of wind intensity since Carla in 1961. So that alone made this a rare hurricane, just how powerful it was. But the fact that it had that much power and then stopped and sat for several days and slowly meandered through the state was just unprecedented and brought us historic flooding. What was the highest amount that, that you remember seeing in we your, had a few um, verified 60-inch rainfall totals. Wow. Um, those were in some small spots uh, southeast of Houston in a different county, Galveston County. Uh, not Galveston Island, but in the, the mainland part of the county that's not along the coast. Uh, community of uh, Friendswood and Dickinson, they got 55 to 60 inches of rain. And then to our east, uh, just before you get into Louisiana, there's some cities uh, called Beaumont, Port Arthur, uh, Nederland, they all got uh, some peak rainfalls of about 60 inches. Most across Houston and Harris County picked up between 35 and 45 inches of rain. So, I, I, you know, there's some people that say, well, I didn't flood in Harvey, so I'm going to be okay the next time there's a bad storm. It's, uh, that's not necessarily the case. You, nece you didn't necessarily get the worst rainfall. Imagine getting double what you got, and that would have been the worst case scenario for you. Wow. Well, tell me, take me through the, uh, you know, the day the storm hit. You know, there were two landfalls in Texas, and you were probably working around the clock at this point. Yeah, so uh, the storm, uh, this is one of those worst case scenarios that we've trained for. We have these integrated weather team workshops we do with the National Weather Service and emergency managers. And one tabletop exercise that we that we practice for is what do you do when there's a tropical depression that goes to a major hurricane in 48 hours? And that's basically what Harvey did um, on, on a Wednesday morning that got renamed to Tropical Depression Harvey. And uh, 48 hours later, it's making landfall as a Category 4 hurricane in Rockport, Texas. And now that's um, about 150 miles away from us here in Houston. So um, as it was coming in, the, the biggest challenge for us was to tell people that are used to hurricanes coming and going and leaving in 24 hours that the worst is still to come. So the hurricane made landfall that Friday night for a very long process. Uh, the, the community of Rockport endured hurricane force winds in excess of 13 hours. That's how slowly Harvey was moving wow. and how powerful it was. And so I was working uh, that Saturday morning. I went into work and we're getting some of the outer rain bands. We're under many tornado warnings because of our location uh, in the in the outer rain bands there. And and but the, but the key message we kept saying was this is just phase one of Harvey. Phase two doesn't start until tomorrow when the heavy rains are expected to move in. And so a lot of people started to feel that because we made it out okay on Saturday, the storm made landfall, the wind speeds were dropping. You know, you hear the phrase, the, the storm has weakened, you know, from a Category 4 now to a Category 1. 
some people were thinking, oh, what's the big deal? And, and the worst, unfortunately, was yet to come. And that happened uh, Saturday night, August 26th, into Sunday morning, August 27th. And that's when we had the feeder bands of Harvey come through. And I remember going to bed that night in my own house, knowing that I had to cross one bayou to get into work, thinking, I probably shouldn't be here. I should be at a hotel near the TV station. But my chief meteorologist at the time, Tim Heller, he said, I will, I will call your wife and we will wake you up if, if we need you to come in. Well, that call came at about 12, 12.30 in the morning. Um, my wife woke me up on that Sunday morning and she said, uh, I think you need to try to get into work now. And I said, okay, what, what's happened? She said, well, we just had a rain band go through. It lasted about an hour and now it stopped. And I said, how much rain fell? Because we have a home weather station. She said five inches. <laughs> oh, well, did she... Does she have a familiarity with weather? She does, just because she's been around me with for you. so long now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but that's right. not that was not her passion by any means, but she's taken it on. So we had think about that five inches of rain in one hour that passed through my neighborhood. And so I know that for the way Houston is designed, because we're so flat, if we get two inches of rain in one hour, it overwhelms the street drainage and then the streets start to flood and fill up. So hopefully our houses don't. So most of the houses are built offset higher from the ground relative to the street. And so so I had a feeling that it might be difficult to get out of my neighborhood since we had five inches in right. one hour. Wow. Um, and so I started to make my way into work and I knew I had two options to get to, to go that I could try. And the first option I went was completely flooded out. And, um, you know, driving at nighttime in a flood is, is one of the most dangerous things you can do around here. Uh, for one, at nighttime, you don't know how deep the water is, and oftentimes you can't even see the water uh, and tell oh, the difference between the water and the road. That. Yeah, because yeah, it just looks actually, like the road. Right, and I actually found myself in, in that situation where I started going down a road, and all of a sudden, three seconds later, I hit water, and you know I'm almost hood deep in water, and I had to back out. Really? And uh, Yeah, and I found a different route um, to get to this main thoroughfare that leads to our medical center, and uh, that, that wasn't working either. And so I, I took the last uh, I took the last route I that I knew. Otherwise, I was going to have to just stay home. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. get a boat, and I and I managed to get through. Right, the, the bayou level was right up to the bottom of the bridge, and so I crossed through and made it into work. But that rain band that passed through my house, that's the rain band, the main rain band that stopped and set up on the southeast side of Houston and into into Galveston County. And that rain band ended up dropping 20 inches of rain in 12 hours on that wow. one day alone. That's uh, incredible amounts of rain. And right. it's interesting when you're talking about heading into work because I'm like most jobs, you know, you can say, I can't make it. And when you're the meteorologist on the television station, that's the one in four, like, I, I got to get there. I got to get there, you know. And, right. And what was that like for your family? Like, okay, so your home, because this, you know, Houston's your home. So what was that like for you guys even trying to figure out what your family was going to do while you were trying to get into work? That's always the hardest thing is we have to make preparations for our family ahead of time because, once the storm hits, we're, you know, we're on the clock and we can't leave usually. And, you know, sometimes people uh, will say, oh, don't you guys just love, you just love it when a hurricane's coming, don't you? And it's like, no, we don't. We live here right. too. We, we live, this family. is our home. home. Yeah, right. Exactly. We don't want this. Trust me. Right. Okay. And, and the funny thing about this is I, you know, anytime there's a storm threatening, I always talk to my wife and I have, I have contingency plans in place with family in different parts of the state that they can go to. And because uh, I want them gone right. because I know that that I can't take care of them if I'm at work. If a tree falls down into the house or, you know, the window blows out, I, I can't go and, and fix that. 
And, um, and so I always want them to leave, but we had just gotten through this seven day road trip to go to the solar eclipse and she was worn out and she's like, I, I really, I really don't want to pack my bags again and go if it's just going to be flooding. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, uh, I'll respect that because you're the one that has to take all the kids and, and, you know, this and that, but it, it ended up being after the flood hit, um, portions of all of our 22 major freeways that run through the county were underwater and there was only one way out and it was still in a very uncertain phase and i said okay you're getting out <laughs> right yeah you, we're, so i'm gonna take this out of your hands yeah. now because i uh, know what you could be right. dealing with eventually i got her out and then i was able to completely free my mind to focus on my work so that's always a hard thing is is taking care of the family knowing you can't be there for them um I, and when we bought the house that we're in we purposely bought high on high ground because we had a previous home that flooded twice in some other floods. Oh, okay. And I said, we, we are not going to go through that again. Or if we do, everyone else is going to go through it with us. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's got to be to that level before right. it's going to be a problem. And we almost got there because, I mean, the water at our house just barely got above our curb. But a block to our west, the homes are five to six feet lower, literally just one block to our west. And there's a, there's a waterway of a bayou that runs through our neighborhood. And every single home had three to four feet of water in it just a block to our west. Wow. Um, and so we had neighbors getting in their canoes and rescuing neighbors out of their their attics, their homes during the, the height of the flood. It was it was a, a, just a crazy time. How are things for Houston now in some of the hardest hit areas two years later? There's still neighborhoods in transition. So a lot of people that flooded, it wasn't their first time to flood. As I mentioned before, we've had a few recent floods. And so um, so for some neighborhoods that have been hit multiple times, um, the, the owners are ready to give up or get out. Or, you know, a flood can be financially devastating. Even if you just get an inch of water in your house, um, that can do thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 of damage. And 80% of the people that flooded in Harvey did not have flood insurance um, because so much really? of the flooding occurred well outside of the, of the floodplains. And a lot of... A lot of people mistakenly believe if I don't live in a floodplain, then I don't need flood insurance. Well, the reality is we live in a place where we have had historic rainfalls, such as we're, we just passed the 40th anniversary of Tropical Storm Claudette, which in 1979 dumped 42 inches of rain in 24 hours um, just south of Houston. Wow. And I don't care who you are. When you live in a flat place like Houston, if you get 42 inches of rain in 24 hours, you are going to flood whether or not you live in a floodplain. Right. And the other and thing so, I was going to say, yeah. it's going to probably takes a while. I mean, because the floodplain maps don't catch up. Right. And uh, the, the technology is improving. So we've got some new floodplain maps that are, I think are about ready to hit uh, based off of the flooding from Harvey. Uh, but a lot of these neighborhoods are still in transition. There's still houses that are being lifted up. So we've got uh, some neighborhoods in uh, some parts of town, you have you have neighborhoods where the homes are were all built in the 1950s, 1960s. These older ranch style homes, they're being hoisted up 10 feet off the ground uh, with cinder blocks and bricks, and then they decorate it. And so, it, so basically, the first it looks like a two story house, but the first story is just all brick, concrete, cement. Um, and then you have uh, giant McMansions that are popping up that are elevated off the ground. Uh, not on not on pier and beam, but the, just um, large, uh, large concrete slabs in some cases. Um, some of them are pier and beam, but it's not like homes on stilts when you think about the coastline. Um, but you, you have you have neighborhoods that are that are being transformed in terms of what they look like. Uh, an, a city ordinance was passed in the wake of Harvey uh, that required people that live within even the 500 year floodplain to build two feet above that level. 
Um, and so you have you have homes that are being lifted up. You have uh, homes that are being torn down. You have empty lots in some places. Uh, so in the areas that flooded, uh, there's definitely the scars of Harvey everywhere. Uh, for the places that didn't flood, you know, life was resumed as normal uh, and quickly did so, to be honest, after after Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of places that are still in transition. And, and there's also um, changes in the ways that some businesses are now building. Um, for instance, uh, uh, one bayou that runs on the southwest side of town, Bray's Bayou, has, has had a lot of flooding lately. And uh, one of the local grocery store chains that's, that's real popular uh, in Texas, based out of Texas, is called HEB. Uh, they're building, they've had built one grocery store now where the first floor above ground is a parking garage. And they're doing a second one now. And there's a Starbucks along the bayou that was actually designed with flooding in mind. And so um, it is a waterproof Starbucks. It's a drive-through, dine-outside only, and uh, it flooded during Harvey in terms of the water came up six feet around it, and all they got was a little bit of water that came up in their in their bathroom. Wow. And so you see you see businesses now that are that are starting to adapt and build differently, build smarter, knowing that we live in a flood-prone area. Wow. And and you said about some of the houses from the '50s and and some of those locations because not only, I would think. It's not only because of being in the wake of some of these storms, but also urban buildup, or like the urban sprawl. And probably things have changed just because there are more houses, more concrete, more. So the house in the 50s that may not have flooded may now flood because of that. You're exactly right. That's a really big problem. Um, you know, we, we've laid down so much concrete, and especially in the last 20 years, there's been a lot of growth in the suburbs on the west side of Houston. Well, those, the west side of Houston used to be uh, farm fields, rice, rice fields. And, um, and so those are the headwaters for a lot of these watersheds. They begin west of Houston. And so a lot of the water used to get absorbed by the fields. And now you have uh, neighborhoods. And so that water just runs off straight downstream. And so that has certainly exacerbated the flooding problem. I still think with the amount of rain Harvey dumped, development or no development, it would have been an absolute disaster. No way around it. But it was certainly not helped any. It was it was definitely worsened by all the concrete that's been laid down with all the development that we've had. And and you're right, these homes built in the 50s and 60s, um, they didn't also understand back then exactly how the water flowed and, and flooded at that time. And so there's a lot of neighborhoods that quite honestly were built in places that they probably shouldn't have been built um, because they're now designed to flood. Right. And there's also been the problem of We've had um, we've had you know the ground is sinking, right? So there's um, they're settling across the, the the county, the city. Uh, part of that was was alleviated when we stopped using um, underground sources of water. We were literally drinking ourselves into a hole. Wow, and that's so you interesting. Had, you I had the ground dropping about ten feet over the past one hundred years, and uh, so now we're using surface water sources instead of uh, underwater sources. Are there some areas that are never going to come back where you see vacated areas that just sad when you go? I don't think so. So, okay. Um, so most people yeah. are trying to bring it back. Well, I, th- I think some people didn't have a choice um, because uh, of the finances of things. That's, that's a real tricky thing. Um, you know, do I, do I try to, you know, their house is now flooded. It's a flooded property. Can I even sell it for what it's worth? Can I even get the land value out of it? Um, <clears throat> I do think there, are some, there, are, there have been some specific homes that have been bought out by government entities to where they, they buy it and it becomes a green space. Um, but the, the neighborhood itself still exists. The thing about Harvey 
So we've had a lot of floods the past few years. Even Allison was still somewhat of a highly localized extreme flood. And so we're used to floods happening on the northwest side or the southeast side, but this was everywhere at the same time. And so we saw neighborhoods flood that had never flooded before. And especially for those who it's their first time to flood, they're more likely to, to give it a second try, understanding how extreme of an event Harvey was. Mm-hmm. It's more in those places that have flooded repeatedly that you're seeing people either sell out and then someone else comes in, tears it down and builds it up higher or the county buys it out because that's financially the best option for the homeowner at the time. And then they they take their check and, and try to find another place to live. Now, I know when you were on um, the Weather Insider podcast that we have, you uh, kind of referred yourself because because people now have PTSD kind of lingering after this event. And yeah. you described yourself as reassurer in chief. So talk to me about communicating with people as new things arise, how that changes the way they receive information. Uh, At a recent weather team meeting that we had, um, I told my team, people may not remember everything you say, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And since Harvey, everyone's on edge. I mean, it's gotten a little better with time as, as things tend to happen when, uh, you know, when you suffer a traumatic event, you know, time is a great healer. We're still though just, you know, two years from when it happened. So it's very fresh on many people's minds. And I recall um, after Harvey, most schools uh, ended up uh, delaying two weeks that we had two weeks of no school because of the severity of the flooding. And, and most schools had already had at least a week before the storm hit. So um, when I when I went back to because I visit schools to give weather safety talks, mm-hmm. I really wanted to hone in on the areas that were really hard hit and devastated. We're talking neighborhoods where their, their public school was their was their shelter of last resort because the whole neighborhood was flooded. And, and as I went into each of these communities to, to speak to these kids, to love on them, to, to, to reassure them and teach them things, time after time, whether it was the student counselor or the principal or the teacher that invited me, they all said the same thing. Anytime it starts raining at recess, we have a group of kids that comes crying to us, Aww. asking, is it, is it going to flood again? Are we going to lose our home or our car? And it wasn't just the kids, though. It was the adults, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... For that reason, ever since Harvey, when it comes to a rainfall forecast or any rain event, we have to explicitly now say we've made the choice to explicitly tell our viewers that we are just expecting street flooding, which is actually a normal thing in Houston. That's the streets are designed to flood. So our homes don't. So we're having to differentiate between uh, if we're going to have street flooding or if there's the possibility for bayou and creek flooding that could flood houses. And um so we're, we're, we're careful to that, and, and we're also very careful to reassure people whenever we can. And most of our rain events are, are not going to cause home flooding. Um, you know, so, so anytime it rains, we want to reassure people that, hey, this is you know, a quick one or two inches. You might see some water rise in the streets, but that's it. Overall, it's a beneficial rain. We need the rain. And so we're really cognizant of how people feel. And especially last summer, the first hurricane season after Harvey, we were also very sensitive to any time there was anything that was threatening the Gulf of Mexico. And we're, we're still experiencing that um, this hurricane season. We had Barry. Mm-hmm. And even with Barry, uh, there were people that still, even as the storm was making landfall, did not trust that it was going to hit Louisiana and were afraid it would turn west and, and hit Houston and flood us out. Um, so, you know, we, we fear has a way of really playing with our, our emotions and, and bringing about irrational thoughts as well. And so the more that we can reassure people, hopefully the, the, the better we can help them through that, that anxious phase of a storm 
or a tropical storm or a hurricane, even if it's not our storm, we still want to reassure people that it still it still looks like it's going taking this path and not coming this way. Right, because it's so raw. And I was and it's interesting, it's fascinating to me when you live in an area like Houston or any of these areas that can be impacted by hurricanes or, you know, these kind of extreme disaster kind of situations is that as a television meteorologist, you're kind of a counselor too to the people watching, you know, to try emotionally to kind of help them through. So I, I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And, and I'm also very um, sensitive to those that suffer from storm anxiety. I know that the meteorologists around Oklahoma City face that with all the tornadoes they've had mm-hmm. and the people that suffer from anxiety related to that. And, and we have it with, with floods and rainfall. And I'm sensitive to it because I, I was once that person that was just absolutely terrified of the weather. Uh, what got really? me into weather was when I was a kid, there was this big hurricane named Gilbert. Uh, it, it at the time held the record for the strongest hurricane in the Western Hemisphere, Category 5 through the Caribbean, made a landfall in the Yucatan, got back up to Category 3 before making landfall south of Brownsville. And then uh, the remnants of the storm went through San Antonio, which is where I was born and raised. And uh, it was a Saturday morning in September. Half a dozen tornadoes spawned across the city around sunrise, and, and one of them went by my childhood house. And it was a really terrifying experience wow. uh, for my family. And, and so from that, that birthed, one, um, a passion to learn more about the atmosphere, but it also birthed the fear uh, of the weather as well that I had to, to work through over several years. And so I understand what it's like for people when there's a forecast that calls for either severe weather or for flooding rains, the anxieties that they're facing in the, in the lead up. And, and, and we've gotten so good as a community forecasting the weather in advance. You know, we can see f- some, the potential for flooding days away now. And so it's almost even more difficult for those that have anxiety because now you've got more days right. to really think about this. And so uh, w- uh, one piece of advice I got from a former uh, director of our local weather service office and the National Hurricane Center, Bill Reed, uh, he said, the best thing you can do for those who are having anxiety in the anticipation of a storm that's days away is give them things that they can do. Tell them what they can do with that nervous energy to prepare uh, for, for that storm. So we try to give preparation tips as well. You know, what you can do to mitigate flooding, you know, be a good neighbor, check your storm gut drains, make sure the leaves are pulled out and the branches, um, you know, t- trim tree limbs in the approach of a hurricane, things like that, that you can give people to do as, the, as they get ready for an approaching storm. Right. They don't feel powerless so they can control what they can control. Right. Exactly. Well, it has been fascinating to talk to you. Uh, before we go, where can uh, folks find you on social media, Travis? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The social media handle is at TravisABC13. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Regina. Or thanks once again to Chief Meteorologist Travis Herzog of KTRK-TV in Houston. And thank you for listening. Join us right back here next week for Everything Under the Sun. A new episode drops every Thursday. See you then. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. 
Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.